the God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you'd uh, just quicken these words and uh, uh, thoughts and uh, help us to apply them in our life so that we can grow uh, further and deeper in love with you. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. So a couple quick family updates and then we will pray. Um, next Sunday uh, is Diara, her last Sunday here. So she is actually, I believe, currently on a train back uh, from Brooklyn. She was looking for apartments all weekend, uh, having trouble with them, uh, finding a proper one that would fit her needs. So please be praying for her, pray for safety on her way back. But next weekend, as you see her, uh, love her well, uh, as that'll be her last Sunday here uh, with this church family. Uh, and then second thing is we have not replaced Dale with Craig, even though he has served us well the last two weeks. But uh, Dale's mom is having some health troubles. So we gave her the Sunday off and Craig last minute, last night actually, uh, was willing to come and serve us again and leading us with music. So please be praying for the Post family and Dale's extended family as they need wisdom and caring for their um, Dale's mom. Uh, and I just want to open up and pray for Dale and her family as well as Diara and then we'll jump into our text in John 13. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our sisters in Christ who uh, we get to lift up and in some sense help to bear their burdens. God, we pray that you would give Diara and Dale both wisdom and caring for their needs. Uh, Diara, for a perfect place to live. God, we thank you that she uh, is has found a church to, to be a part of there like she has been here. And we pray that you would just bless her and use her for your kingdom and your glory and in New York. God, we also pray for Dale. We pray for wisdom for her family. We pray for healing for her mom. Uh, and God, we just pray that you would help them all, as we just sang, to keep their focus and their eyes fixed upon you. God, we thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you care to answer us. Would you be glorified in our time this morning? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I heard a story this past week. I was uh, actually listening to a sermon from uh, a few years ago, Kristen and I in the car, and I thought it would be perfect uh, application or a story to kick off our time in our text this morning in John 13. Uh, I've condensed it a lot and uh, changed the, some of the wording in it, but during World War II, there was a ruthless camp in Japan for prisoners of war. And it was under the name and the command of an officer named Kenoshi. He had a reputation of being ruthless and brutal. He was a torturer and he essentially just murdered his prisoners. His objective at the end of the war was to murder everybody under his care. I'll spare you the details of how he did it because it was pretty gruesome. And at the end of the war, he escaped and he disappeared and nobody could find him. And after searching for him over a number of years, they found him. And eventually he was captured and arrested and tried and subsequently he was hung for his crimes. But before his execution, as he was about to be punished for his crimes, he said aloud, I believe and and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who had prosecuted him were like, what is going on here? And he said, he confessed that he was deeply affected by the testimony of the Christians, the American prisoners of war who he had persecuted. It was the testimony of those Christians in the most dire and horrific circumstances that the Lord used to bring Kenoshi, an evil man at one point, to himself where they love their enemy and humble service. It's pretty crazy, huh? An adamant hater of Christ was saved. And this, friends, is why we are in the world today, to bring people to Christ under any circumstances. Extreme enemies can come to Jesus and make Christ their own because of the example of love of God's people, of you and me, and the gospel that we preach, that we get to model and proclaim the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so for 12 chapters in the Gospel of John, we have seen Jesus' new messianic community develop to gather amongst themselves. And before Jesus goes to meet his hour, he specifically takes some time over the next few chapters to teach his people, his disciples, those who have heard and received and followed their shepherd, Jesus. His public ministry has now gone private before it becomes public again when he meets his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. You might ignore when you come into this building, that back wall there, it says three things, right? Love God, love others, and love I'm sorry, and make disciples. And this is not something new for the church, but it is something specific that should lead and guide everything that we do as a church, as Cornerstone Church. It comes from Matthew 22 and Matthew 28, and today's passage helps to shed some light on that for us because we are loved by God and we are called to love others so that they can experience the love of God themselves and believe in Jesus as well. So turn with me in the Gospel of John to chapter 13. We will start in verse 1. It 
John says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. You can keep your finger there. We have a reminder again that the Passover feast is at hand. Jesus will soon go away, but we know from other scripture that Jesus does not forsake his people. He is always with us. As we make disciples, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And this is emphasized when John says Jesus has loved his own. He loved them to the end. That's you and me. This is pointing to our end, not the current reality, but to the end that these disciples, but also us, look forward to. This is the end, and it is not currently now. It's like Jesus saying that he will never cast us out in chapter 6, or that no one will snatch his sheep out of his hand in chapter 10 where we can be confident like Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The end for disciples of Jesus is certain, and John wants to remind us of that. Where God loves the world with compassion and grace and patience, giving a world full of sin another breath to take that we get to take as well. The love that the world gets, everyone gets to enjoy, but the love that God has for his disciples is a love for those who follow him with a perfect, saving, eternal love, an eternal life that comes by believing, that extends beyond this life here on earth, as John has called an abundant life. And John wants us to be aware in verse 2 that even Judas will receive love from Jesus in this passage. I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time serving someone who I knew would betray me within a matter of hours. The greatest atrocity in the history of the world in the crucifixion, the betrayal of Jesus by a friend, someone so close to him, Judas would be served by Jesus in just a mere few moments. And I think this gives great meaning to the words of Jesus that we see in Matthew and Luke of loving your enemies, doesn't it? Think about those prisoners in that camp. I don't think anyone would marry someone knowing that within a few hours they would commit adultery with them. Or maybe you have children. You wouldn't go out on a date night and hire a babysitter knowing that in a couple hours while you're on the date night, maybe your child would be murdered. Think about it. Judas was loved too in this passage. And so let's see what Jesus does in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So the foundation of Jesus' work is his relationship with the Father. The Father has given him all things. Jesus came from the Father. Jesus will return to the Father. 
And in Luke's account, the disciples at this meal, they were debating about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And the, the irony should shed some light for us in this passage as well, because we're supposed to see that Jesus is the greatest. And so let's change the words that I used a little bit earlier to speak of Jesus this morning. Jesus is loved by God and goes to love others. So others can experience the love of God themselves and believe in Him. We're the modeling of Jesus. The modeling of the Lord Jesus and Him as teacher, it starts with God Himself, the Word made flesh, where He took on flesh and added to His divinity humanity. And touching feet, as we've said, we saw that back when Mary washed Jesus' feet, was a menial task for slaves. And Jesus was capable of destroying Jesus that, or sorry, Judas that night on the spot, but he decides to wash the feet of all of his disciples, including the one who would betray him. Jesus' humility increases as he removes his outer garb and he wraps a towel around his waist and it underscores the humility even more because now he not just is going to act like a slave, he's going to look like a slave, changing his outer garments to be what a slave would look like. And he does this at a meal when they were all reclining at table. They were probably leaning forward at the table with their feet behind them. And Jesus gets up and he walks around and he starts to wash the disciples' feet who are behind them. And so there is no ignoring the fact of what Jesus is doing. And Jesus has a great sense of unwavering love for his own while the cross is eminently ahead of him. And this act of humility and love for his sheep foreshadows the humility and love that he will have for his sheep that will meet him in a few short hours when he meets his death on a cross. But like disciples that day, we are loved by God. But also like us and those disciples, we oftentimes have questions. And who better to speak up, right, about a question that they have for Jesus than the disciple Peter. We'll see in verse 6. Would you read that with me? He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to clean, not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And so it's a good thing that Peter's feet were clean because he has his foot now in his mouth. But Jesus says removing, sorry, that Jesus says disciples receive a spiritual cleansing that leads to humble service on the basis of what God does for us and God's love for us. And in Peter's usual impulsiveness, he speaks up and Jesus has to correct him. Can we admit that Peter's words, though, reflect the basic way that we all think? 
refusing to see an act of salvation as an act of lowly service of God in the form of a slave, it's hard for us to even understand why Jesus would do something like this. And Jesus has grace on Peter, just like he has for us. In verse 7, like the disciples misunderstood the bread that Jesus gives as never failing, or the woman at the well didn't grasp that the water, the symbol of water, was an everlasting fountain of life, or Nicodemus confused the significance of new birth. Peter doesn't understand the significance here in our passage of the foot washing. And although it sounds harsh, it's best to hear truth in correction. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. If we don't allow Jesus to serve us and love us, frankly, we don't belong to him. Our role is to receive the love of God. Where great love comes through Jesus as he lays down his life for his sheep, as we will see eventually in excuse me, chapter 15. And so Peter says again in verse 9, Well, you should just wash my whole body then while you're at it. Again, Jesus has patience with him because he's already clean on the account of the words that Jesus has already spoken to him. The word washing here, it conveys two meanings, both referring to the washing of his feet, but also of the cleansing of sin. John uses the same word in his first epistle, where he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us or to wash us from all unrighteousness. Where the cleansing of our sin it will be accomplished on the cross that Jesus will meet it never ends, I'm sorry, the accomplishment of Jesus' death and the atonement need not ever be repeated. Atonement means making amends or blotting out an offense or scratching a fault from the record or giving satisfaction for a wrong. And for those who believe in Jesus' atonement, dying in our place on the cross for our sins, we're now reconciled to God, no longer alienated, and our relationship with God is now restored. Where that act of Jesus upon the cross, it never needs to be repeated because Jesus is the Word made flesh, the God-man who can cover a multitude of sins, an infinite amount of sins, all of the sins that we've committed in our entire life and all the sins that we will commit for the rest of our lives, where we are considered righteous in Jesus when we believe in his substitutionary death for our sin on our behalf, his subsequent resurrection from the dead to give us a newness of life, an abundant life that Jesus calls it. Where Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 30 says, Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so while we still live here on this earth with the presence of sin, we are still free. We can rest because we are no longer under the power of sin in bondage. We are no longer under the penalty of sin because Jesus has taken upon himself the penalty as we can give ourselves now while we still live in the presence of sin to grow in holiness. It's the theologians call sanctification. Sinning is not okay in God's eye. That's why Jesus had to come and die. But grace is always there for us when we stumble, when we make a mistake, 
And it's God's kindness, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, that is meant to lead us to repentance from our sin or changing of our actions and fleeing from our sin. And while these disciples had been significantly bathed and blessed in the foot washing experience, what they are to see is that it is a symbol of what Jesus will do for them in his total purification of all of their sins that was accomplished on the cross and where the words of Isaiah 118 will come true when our sins are paid in full. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow, and though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And as we are cleansed, this is an example of what we are to mimic so others can see that they can be cleansed from their sin as well by the reality of the cross symbolized in our humble sacrificial service to them. And it starts with those who are in the church. Look with me at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus, again, he knows that they don't completely understand everything that he is doing and everything that he is saying. And so he explains to these disciples what their response should be after his resurrection because we are all loved by God and are called to love others so that others can experience the love of God themselves and in turn themselves believe. Jesus gives us an example to follow and so we can equip and build up the saints and help each other, all of us as Christians, to love one another. And Jesus references two titles here in this passage. He says, I am either a teacher and a Lord. As teachers, disciples are to emulate and to follow and mimic the example that he gives. As Lord, he's a ruler and he can require obedience by those who hear what he calls us to do in submission. He's been called the Son of God. He's been called the Word made flesh. He's been called the glory of God in this gospel of John. But here Jesus calls himself teacher and Lord so that we would emulate him as teacher and we would obey him and submit to him as Lord. And this double title requires double emphasis. The teacher's words are just as important as, important as the Lord's actions. And so as verse 14 says, we ought also ought to wash one another's feet. 
And so I have some buckets in the back that the deacons will bring out and we can, I'm just kidding. The model of Jesus is not merely one of self-giving service to others in the foot washing. The model is, in fact, one that also represents the dying Lamb of God. As disciples and followers of Jesus, we should follow the model, an act of self-sacrifice that are more often more sacrificial than just washing of one's feet. Foot washing is still a part of many modern churches that they participate in this even today. 1 Timothy 5 calls widows to be cared for in the church for those who have washed the feet of the saints. But I think we'll stick to the pattern to follow a cornerstone of sacrificial service for one another. I wear sandals most days other than Sunday, so you don't want to wash my feet very much. The emphasis here is humble, sacrificial service. Jesus models humility and his helpfulness towards the community of Christ, which is us, the church. The reason for this, Jesus gives in verse 16, because we aren't greater than our master. We're messengers. The word here is actually apostle. Same word that we see of the apostles. But we're not talking about the people who have the authoritative uh, witness of the resurrection or leading the church, but as messengers, more of like an um, ambassador from a country to one country to another. And as Jesus comes as God's representative sent by the Father to serve and ultimately die, we too are sent by Jesus to serve and ultimately die to ourselves. Jesus is a humble servant, and so we should be humble servants as well. And Jesus is a messenger of truth, and so we should as well be messengers of truth as well. Verse 17 reminds us, if we know these things, we will be blessed. Another word for happy. It's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed is the man whose or we would be joyful if we do them. As Pastor John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. We talked about glory last week where our true happiness in God is when we are satisfied in Him and that brings God glory. That shows the value and the worth that God deserves and we can give of ourselves in humble sacrifice because it brings God glory and it brings us true joy in the process. And with whom much is entrusted, much is expected. But we don't serve to achieve favor with God or acceptance by God. Paul says this in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. As a disciple, we approach God differently than any other religion in the world tries to approach the idea of God. We don't earn anything. Jesus has earned it for us. We respond with effort because we work, because of the work Christ has earned for us, as Paul says. We humbly give of ourselves because Jesus humbly gave of everything in himself. Every other religion says that we must do something to earn God's favor, to make ourselves right with God, but it's burdensome because we will always fail. 
And Jesus initiates when we cannot. Where the master is not, I'm sorry, the master is greater than the servant. And out of the work and earning that Jesus has done for us, we put forth effort to love like him. Our role, as verse 17 says, is to just know and do. And so now we know. So what will we do? With Jesus, there is no division between what we know in our hearts and the way we live our lives. Not all who hear will obey, or not all who hear will follow the commands of Jesus, we see in verse 18. And it's a reminder, because not all are chosen. Many hear, but not all follow and believe. Remember that one who's still there at this foot washing in Judas. If you don't want to follow Jesus' commands, would you ask yourself the question, why? Do you want to follow? Do you really believe? If you do want to follow, we get the opportunity over and over to repent, to receive the cleansing that we need each and every day of our lives because of the complete washing that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And as Jesus moved towards the cross, he took pains to fulfill every word of Scripture. And he quotes a passage from Psalm 41, verse 9. I'll read the entire text of that verse for you. It says, Even my close friend, this is a prayer of David, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And Jesus is recounting David's son, Absalom, his rebellion, because Absalom followed a friend, a faithless friend, and betrayed his father, King David. Jesus had Judas there with him, a friend who will against, be against Jesus in treachery, in faithless betrayal, in just a matter of hours. And even those who appear as disciples sometimes aren't disciples. Even though they might call themselves a friend of Jesus. So that's why we get to remind each other of the gospel over and over and over again. Because just like you, I need it as much as well. Cornerstone, we are loved by God. And we are called to love others so others can experience the love of God for themselves and believe in Jesus. And I think there's three takeaways that we can take from our text this morning. First, you might have heard the phrase to preach the gospel, but if necessary, use words. And I think this passage is a text that most of the people who would say that would use to justify, well, I'm just going to serve, but I'm not going to open my mouth and proclaim the gospel. Well, I'm going to say that that phrase, often attested to St. Francis of Assisi, was one, never come out of his mouth, and two, it's false. Unfortunately, for those who like that phrase, it's not in the Bible, and it's not something that we are called to do. We have to use words. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Service is great. We should do that. We should show God's love 
but we also must open our mouths to declare the truth of who he is and what he has done. Friends, declaring the gospel is the most loving thing we can do, not only for each other, but also for a lost and dying world around us. Salvation comes from hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice. They receive it, they believe it, and they follow him. And so first, we're to serve. We're to share the gospel to each other and outside of the church. Second, we get to humbly serve the church, this church. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says that the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not a terrible end to otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Second, friends, we get to serve the church. As we consider how we serve within this church, the elders discussed this past week the ways we need our help. You might have seen it in the emails. You might have read it already in the bulletins. We want to come back and start back up our Alphas class, which is our um, kids under sixth grade. We need helpers, though, to do that. We need a lot of helpers to do that. We have a lot of helpers in the nursery, so if you're already serving in the nursery and you want to transition to maybe helping in the Alphas class, we'll have a curriculum. We would love to hear from you. We would love to have an Alphas class scheduled for a full group of volunteers to start when the school year starts on September 4th. It's no foot washing or nursery where there's changing of diapers, but it's an opportunity for humble service to serve as Jesus would call the least of these in this local church. Would you prayerfully consider joining us on one of our teams? You can also pray for us as a team is getting together. Uh, I think it's two weekends from now to figure out how we can serve our youth kids. We have a great opportunity how to participate with other churches and the events that they do. But we also would love to serve our kids who are in middle school and high school here in this congregation. So you can be praying for that as well. There's service to the church and the everyday ordinary things that we encounter in our lives as well. When we visit a friend who is sick, when we bring them a meal, when we take their kids and we watch them for them, or we head over to the hospital when someone is sick, or we might go over and help them clean their house, we're serving like Jesus. We're not giving something to Jesus, but rather we're receiving blessing from Jesus, Christ's gift to you in our humble service of one another. When we do this in the church, we get to serve those who are strong, but those who are struggling and those who are doubting and in need of the love of God in the church, we get to display to them as well the humble service and sacrifice and not only display the gospel, but we get the opportunity to declare the gospel to them in the process. The words and service of Jesus are completely inseparable. We must use words to preach the gospel, and we have an opportunity to serve each other. And so how are you serving here? How can you serve here? 
We're loved by God and are called to love others so others can experience the love of God themselves and believe in Jesus. First, we use words. Second, we serve the church. And third, we have an opportunity to serve those outside of the church that they may hear the gospel and believe too. And that might lead to their eternal life. Real cleansing of sin comes through Jesus' words and through his atoning sacrifice that this foot washing pointed to. Where we can love our friends, we can love our family, we can love our co-workers, we can love even our enemies, those who are outside of this church, outside of the body of Christ, like Jesus did with his betrayer who was eating the meal with him that evening. So would you consider in joining me and a team to brainstorm how we can engage in our local community here? Would you join us when we actually go out and serve the local community here? I considered calling the Tunbridge Fair. Maybe we could pick up trash. Maybe we can clean out the porta potties. I don't know. Maybe you have an idea of how we can serve our local community. Pat Patch reminded me this week of an opportunity in Bethel to provide meals for people each Tuesday to serve lunches, to drive people to, uh, around to get meals or deliver dinner to their home. Maybe that's something you want to get involved in. Maybe we can serve at Old Home Day in Royalton or we can serve at the Forward Festival in Bethel in September. Friends, we get an opportunity to serve our community. Will we do it? You have neighbors, you have family, you know people in your lives who don't know and love and follow Jesus. Consider how you can serve them as being an example of Jesus to create an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them and trusting God that he will give those who are his, whom he is called, the ability to believe. And our job is to invite them to believe, to share the gospel and trust God with the fruit and they might join the family of God. Paul says this in Colossians 1, verse 24 and 25. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And Paul is not achieving here anything that is lacking in the effectiveness in the work of Christ, Jesus' atonement on the cross. The language here signifies what was lacking was Christ's physical presence, right? Jesus is in heaven. He's ruling and reigning, sitting at the Father's side, seated down. What is missing is being able to physically see his scars, his suffering, Paul was saying that he is filling up what is lacking by being a physical display of those, to those around him of the suffering of Christ when they can't see Jesus physically themselves. We as God's people can fill up what is lacking, the physical manifestation of sacrificial service. We are that display of the afflictions to a lost and dying world in the way we humbly serve humbly love, even if it means we will be afflicted in the process. Friends, we are loved by God and we are called to love others so that others can experience the love of God themselves and believe in Jesus. Maybe like the Japanese guard, our love for God and our love for others will cause non-Christians to believe when we share the gospel so that lost sheep can become disciples and follow the example 
of humble sacrifice as well. But it probably won't happen if we don't love, if we don't serve, and most importantly, if we don't proclaim the gospel. As a great missionary, William Carey said, we can expect great things from God so that we can attempt great things for God. When we do, we humbly serve so others can believe in Jesus while we see as the church is encouraged in our own belief in him. When we serve and love, friends, everything changes. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the example of your son. God, we thank you for his humble, sacrificial service to these 12, even one of which was his enemy, so that we could have a model to follow. God, we thank you for serving us so much and sending of your son to most importantly die in our place on the cross. God, would you remind us of that? Would you help us to believe that? And Father, would you be honored in the rest of our time as we sing 